is Histories and Mysteries. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jessica. And on this week's episode, Ashley is talking about Gary Hedenick. Yeah. Cool. I got it right. And <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Pedro Rodriguez Filo, or some people like to call him Little Petey. I feel like I've heard of that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a short one, I think, but it's a good one. Okay, because mine's long. Yeah, no, it's a short one. I literally just have a page of people he killed. Oh, lovely, lovely. <laughs> so, yeah. Perfect. There wasn't a lot on him, but yeah. Well, there was a lot on my guy. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we start, though, I have to tell you, I told you to remind me to tell you the story, and you did, so I'm happy. Yes. Oh, I was just telling myself, I need a reminder again, and then I forgot <laughs> two seconds later, so. <laughs> yeah. So the other night, I was watching TV by myself. My husband had gone to bed, so I was out in the living room by myself watching TV. It was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, my Google Home goes off and says, die i can search that for you using your roku tv Ew! and then on my tv it interrupted my show and came up with a search for the word die like d-i-e Ew! i was like oh the show i was watching the guy had just said die like he's like they're gonna die so i was like well it must have been that so i rewound it to play it again see if it would do it again jessica it did not do it again oh, <laughs> so that was terrifying i hate it yeah that was that's pretty awful i was pretty pretty not not impressed with that oh what did anything else happen after that nope that was it fine yeah (laughs) so thankfully we're moving so you know there is anything i'm out (laughs) yeah that's terrifying yeah especially after like we had our little chat with Brittany on the podcast i know <laughs> maybe her maybe her demon is now your demon what well, jessica do not take that back <laughs> take that back right now jessica <laughs> jessica you take that back right now i can't there's nothing to take back <laughs> i will hunt you down woman <laughs> You have to be allowed into my country first. <laughs> That's true. That's still not a thing. Okay, I take it back. Thank you. Not really. <gasps> Jessica! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. See, even Oliver thinks it's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes, Oliver is joining us today. My husband, unfortunately, his grandmother passed away last night, so he is out there with them, so... Positive thoughts, vibes, and everything out to his family. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm oh, I'm really happy he was be- able to be with her, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They knew she was not doing well, so he flew out there uh, Wednesday evening, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. So, well, I'm very happy he was able to be there with her. Yeah, me too. They were really close. He stayed a lot of summers with her growing up. Oh. So, yeah, but um. On to more horrible things. I was going to say, now we're going to be talking about uh, some pretty horrible people. Yeah. So this one, I actually, I had never heard of him before. And um, uh, True Crime Obsessed is one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to. And basically they look at 
true crime documentaries and then they talk about those documentaries and so there's a new documentary out on oxygen called monster preacher and it's about this guy and again i had never heard of him um you can say i think i've heard people say hednik and hydnik so either way but um yeah i wasn't i was unsure if it was one or the other so yeah i am also unsure (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) but i think once you hear this it's insane that i've never i mean because i'm pretty well versed in the true crime cases and i it's crazy that i've never heard of this and they did at the podcast i listened to did make the point that you know we probably didn't hear about it because all of his victims were black women who were also like sex workers yeah so that makes sense so get ready uh strap in because this is fucking awful you ready no (laughs) but i have to be (laughs) (laughs) and then i have to re-listen to it afterwards when you edit it yeah that's the worst yeah i'm kind of regretting this whole learning how to edit thing (laughs) (laughs) having to re-listen to this awful shit again brutal (laughs) brutal it's pretty awful okay gary hednick was a born november 27th oh wow it's definitely november 22nd Literally reading it and said the 27th. Uh, he was born November 22nd, 1943 to Michael and Ellen Hednick in Cleveland, Ohio. From what we can tell, he had a pretty normal childhood. Um, his parents divorced when he was about three. And then he lived with his mother's for his mother for four years before being placed with his father. So later on, we find out that she had a problem with alcohol. So I'm thinking maybe that's why he got placed because it said placed with his father. So I'm thinking maybe that's why. And that doesn't happen very often either. Right. Exactly. So I was like, there had to be some kind of, especially back in the forties. Yeah. Like there had to be something. So I'm thinking that's probably what it was. Everybody did bad shit back then. They all smoked. They all drank like. Right. Yeah. Gary did say at one time that he was emotionally abused by his father. And um, Gary had a lifelong problem with wetting the bed. And he said his dad would make him hang his sheets from his bedroom window so that his neighbors could see. His dad does deny this ever happening, but you know, who knows? Gary was a shy boy at school. He didn't interact too much with other kids and he never made eye contact, which we know can be the result of different mental disorders. Yeah. Um, and apparently during one interaction with a girl, um, she asked Gary if he had gotten homework done and he yelled at her and said she wasn't worthy enough to talk to him. What? Yeah. That seems based off of his personality. It would seem like it should be the other way around that he's not right. worthy enough to talk to her. Right. No, she wasn't worthy enough to talk to him. In testing, they found out that Gary had an IQ of 148, which, according to Very Well Minds, puts Gary at the highly gifted area, but he didn't do well in school. So at 14, Gary went to Staunton Military Academy, but he left before graduating. And then he attended another public school, but he also left that before graduating. So he never graduated high school. But at the age of 17, he joined the Army. He did really well in basic training, and his drill sergeant even graded him as excellent. This is one of the things I tried to look up, but I couldn't find anything on it. But he applied to different specialized positions like the military police, but he was rejected. And I don't understand why, because if he was so smart and he did so well in basic training, and at this point he hadn't been diagnosed with anything yet. Yeah. I'm not really sure why he got rejected, but he did. Um, So he ended up training as a medic. He got shipped off to Germany, where he did earn his GED. 
but he began complaining of dizziness, blurred vision, severe headaches, and nausea. I think I know this story. Do you? I think so. Okay. I'm unsure, but it sounds very familiar for whatever reason. Okay. Well, let me know at the end if you knew it. Okay. So he went to the doctor and the doctor diagnosed him with gastroenteritis, but he also noticed that he displayed some symptoms of a mental disorder and prescribed him some medication. In 1962, Gary was then transferred to the military hospital in Philadelphia, where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. um, And so he was honorably discharged from the army. And this is kind of where it starts to go downhill for Gary. Just now? It wasn't the trauma as a child? Well, (laughs) yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) So Gary decided to become a licensed practical nurse because he did have all that experience with being the medic. And he started school at the University of Pennsylvania, but he dropped out after only a semester. Like him in school, not friends. Yeah. He got a job at the VA hospital, but he was fired for poor attendance and rude behavior to the patients. After this, Gary spent a lot of time in and out of psychiatric hospitals, and it's reported that he attempted suicide at least 13 times. Holy crap. Yeah. In 1970, also, his mother died by suicide. So she had been an alcoholic her whole life, and she was suffering from those effects. And she also had recently been diagnosed with bone cancer. Oh, no. So she ended up drinking mercuric chloride, which has got mercury and chloride in it. And fun fact, they used to use it to treat syphilis until they realized how poisonous it was. (laughs) No, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she did drink that to end her life. His brother, Terry, was also in and out of a lot of mental institutions and also had attempted suicide multiple times. So their whole family had some mental disorders and stuff that just went untreated. After losing his job, dropping out of school, and losing his mother, Gary decided the next best thing would be to start a church. Oh, I thought you were going to say to start murdering people. No, 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 to start a church. Okay. Oh, I'm getting some Jim Jones vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit. Yeah, like unwilling culture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in 1971, Gary incorporated church out of his home and called it the United Church of the Ministers of God. Starting out, he had five followers and he did it out of his home. Hey, it's like our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we love our five followers. <laughs> In 1975, Gary opened an account with Merrill Lynch, and under the church's name, he initially deposited $1,500. Due to good investing and all that stuff, he eventually had $500,000 in there and adjusted for inflation $1.18 million. Holy shit. Yeah. And so by 1986, his church was thriving and wealthy. He also found a young lady who he corresponded with by mail for two years. She was in the Philippines um, and he ended up proposing to her. And in 1985, Betty Disto flew to America from the Philippines and married Gary. And they all lived happily ever after the end. I wish. I'm going to look this dude up. Give me a sec. He's not scary looking. Like, he's not awful. Would you say he's good looking? I can't knowing what I know. (laughs) That makes sense. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, not awful. He, 
my god where did the picture go he i can't even like i was gonna say oh he's giving me charles manson vibes yeah 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 with his beard when he had like the pictures mm-hmm. of him with his beard he's giving yeah. me charles manson vibes yep i get that yeah. totally okay uh-huh so <laughs> i wrote in here and they lived all happily ever after the end and then i wrote just kidding he cheated on her a lot and forced her to watch him have sex with other women he reportedly beat her and raped her um, until she was able to finally leave him with help from the Filipino community in January of 1986. I'm glad she was able to leave. Yeah. Yeah. But surprise, motherfucker. In 1987, Betty requested child support payments because in their short marriage, she got pregnant and she never told Gary. Oh, fuck him. shit. So on September 15th, 1986, she had given birth to Jesse John Disto. Okay. Gary at this time also had two other children with two other women. One was a woman named Gail Linco, and they had Gary Jr., who was placed in foster care shortly after he was born. And this next part is really awful. The other one was a woman named Ann Jeanette Davidson, who was mentally disabled. Hmm. So their daughter, Maxine Davidson, was also placed in foster care. So he definitely preyed on this poor woman. Yes. And I would assume that Gail, something similar because her child was also placed in foster care after. So I'm assuming that for some reason she wasn't able to take care of him. Like, and Jeanette could not take care of a child. So just you wait, Jessica. There's more. Uh Uh-oh. So not only did he prey upon Anne Jeanette. But he also, in 1978, signed her sister, who was also in the mental institution, out on a day leave and then imprisoned her in a storage room basement. What? He raped and sodomized her and gave her gonorrhea. Oh. Yeah. So Gary was charged with this rape, kidnapping, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. He was found guilty and spent only three years in a mental institution before being released in 1983 after his sentence was overturned in an appeal. Of course it was. And I looked everywhere for this case trying to figure out why it was overturned, but I couldn't find it. Well, was the um, victim an African-American woman? Yes. Yeah, so that's why. Good point. Yeah. And not only was she an African-American woman, but she was an African-American woman who had a mental disorder. That's what I'm looking for. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. That's, that's the thing. That's the only thing I can think of, especially back then. Right. It, they were very racist. Yeah. And like you said, he preyed on. Mm-hmm. And he was a white man yes. back in the day. So yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So this whole thing was actually two years before he had married his wife, Betty. But when she came, she obviously didn't know that he had been arrested. And he was again arrested after Betty left him in 1986 for assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. But those charges were dismissed when Betty didn't show up to the preliminary hearing. I'm assuming he probably got to her and threatened her. And that's why she didn't show up. Oh, probably 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Here's where we just... Take a deep dive right into insanity. On November 25th, 1986, Josefina Riviera or Rivera had left her home after a fight with her boyfriend to start working just like any other night. She was a sex worker and she had walked these streets so often she knew him like the back of her hand. Gary pulled up to her. He was in a really nice car. Um, they didn't say what it was, but they said it was they kept 
commenting how nice this car was. And she had a rule to only ever work in cars. She would never go back with someone. But before anything happened between the two of them, they stopped at a McDonald's, got some coffee, sat and talked for a while. And as they did, Josephina felt like he was absolutely harmless, unassuming, and agreed to go back to his place. So this is a little bit odd, but he had his key made into two pieces. One piece stayed in the lock and then he had the other piece. So that way he was the only one that could open the door. But like also, isn't that just what keys are for? Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. Then today when today, I don't know why I said today. Then (laughs) when she opened the door into the kitchen, he had pennies glued up like half of his walls. Why? I don't know. And then in the hallway, she said it was partially covered with $1 and $5 bills. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Weird decoration. (laughs) So Josephina was about to go into the bedroom when Gary came up from behind her began choking her. He pulled her arms behind her and handcuffed her. He then dragged her to her basement where he had a dirty mattress laying, which BT dubs, why does it always have to be a dirty mattress? Why can't right. it be like a clean mattress? Like where are they right? getting the dirty mattresses? Like you are making decent money, I'm assuming. Right. Like why where are you getting all these dirty mattresses? I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, he threw her down um, and he clamped her ankles into shackles. He then glued her ankles to the clamps and dried it with a hairdryer what no this is like this is giving me elizabeth bathory vibes oh yeah yep yeah yeah Yeah. it gets worse oh god okay he then laid his head in her lap and went to sleep when he woke up he began working on a hole that had partially been finished in that basement so josephina had to watch him deepen and widen this pit in the basement probably knowing the whole time that it was for her While he was doing this, he had told her that he always wanted a large family and that his plan was to get 10 women in his basement, get them all pregnant, raise them all in his basement without any interference from the world. He then raped her and left. Okay. This is confusing because he got the other two women pregnant and then the kids went into foster care. Yeah. I don't think he had control over that though. Okay. Like, I don't think that was his choice. Why would he purposefully try and get these women pregnant and then just put their children up for, like, for foster care? Yeah, I don't think he had a choice in that. Okay. So while he was gone, Josephina was able to partially escape one of her ankle clamps. And then she could, like, stretch the chain out as long as it was could go. And she was, like, barely able to reach a window. And she started screaming out the window for help, hoping one of the neighbors would hear her. But only Gary came. Oh, he- no threw her in the pit beat her with a stick he then he then pushed her head down to her chest so i'm like picturing like her looking down you know like your chin is on your like chest area yeah he put a piece of plywood on top of her and then stacked heavy weights on top of that with her head in that position oh like so almost like he could break her neck Mm mm-hmm he then put a radio on full blast, um, heavy rock station, so that no one would be able to hear her. But Josephina couldn't scream um, in that position. She said she could hardly breathe, and she just she she figured she was going to die. Like she just waited to die because she couldn't breathe. Yeah. She said, even though she, like the music was really loud, she started to listen, and she heard another woman talking and chains dragging across the ground. 
Gary finally removed the wood and the weights from her, and she realized that there now was another woman with her, also in chains. This girl was Sandy Lindsay. Sandy was also mentally disabled, as was, you know, the other ones that he raped. So, therefore, she wasn't scared because she didn't really understand what was happening to her. So, small miracles. Sandy was telling Josephina that she and Gary were good friends and Gary always looked after her. She told Josephina that her and Gary would often have sex and she would also have sex with his friend. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So Sandy became pregnant with what we would assume would be Gary's baby. And, but she had an abortion. And when Gary heard about this, he went ballistic. He offered Sandy a thousand dollars to have his baby. Like, you know, again, um, but she refused, so that's when Gary kidnapped her as well. Ugh. Gary had sent Sandy sent her mom a note saying that she had gone away and would call her later. And this showed Josephina that Gary was going to keep them prisoner indefinitely. Like this was her, like this, this is proof that you know we're not getting out of this. So as the days went on, Gary only fed them every once in a while and kept them partially naked so that he could rape them whenever he wanted to. If they disobeyed him in any way, he would beat them or put them in the hole as punishment. He would also suspend them from one arm for hours on end. So during all of this, Sandy's mom was searching for her. She told police that she thought Sandy was being held against her will by a man named Gary, gave him, gave the police Gary's address and phone number, but she didn't know his last name. The officer called the number and went to the house, but didn't get a response. So it's just oh well fun yeah it's just a mentally disabled black woman and like oh well you know that's you know that's exactly what he was thinking yeah i did my due diligence exactly so that christmas gary kidnapped another woman named lisa he saw her walking down the street and yelled like something sexual at her she became angry and said that she wasn't a sex worker so gary was like oh my gosh i'm so sorry you know let me give you a ride wherever you're going just to make up for it and gary drove again this really nice car so she's like okay what the heck you know he bought her a meal and some clothes and offered to take her to atlantic city at one point so after all this she began to trust him and went back to his house he then drugged her with wine and when she passed out he raped her handcuffed her and took her into the basement horrible 10 days later gary returned with yet another woman 23 year old deborah so at this point there's four women down there now i think right deborah josephina sandy and yeah lisa deborah fought back um she was a firecracker man she fought back as often as she could and because of that she was beat a lot and then when she wouldn't listen Gary would not only beat her, but he would also beat the other women trying to create that tension between them, right? So they wouldn't, like, bond. So now let's get into some psychological torture he did. Okay. When he left, he would pick a girl to be in charge. When he got back, he would ask the girl in charge if anyone broke the rules. If he had, if they had, he would make the girl in charge beat the other women. If there were no infractions... Or if the beating wasn't to his liking, he would just beat them all himself. So either, you know, the girl beat them or he would beat them. And I would assume that the girl would probably be more gentle than him. Oh, probably. So he'd probably just end up doing it regardless of how the beating actually went. Yeah. 
So Josefina started to realize that the only way she was going to get anyone out of here was if she gained his trust. So she started playing to his ego. She would say like she loved being one of his wives and that he was so handsome and he was so smart and blah, blah, blah. And because he was dumb, it worked. And he started to trust her. During this time, food, not really a priority to him. He would sometimes give them bread and water. Other times, peanut butter sandwiches or like stale hot dogs. But eventually even that got to be too much and he started feeding them canned dog food and beat them until they ate it. Yep. I was going to say probably start feeding them dog food. Yep. Yep. On January 18th, Gary kidnapped yet another young lady named Jacqueline. Um, Later that day, though, to celebrate Josephine's birthday, he got all of the girls Chinese food and champagne. Wow. So he was obviously obviously starting to see Josephine as someone important to him. Yeah which is exactly what she wanted. One day, Sandy was trying to move the plywood that covered the pit for some reason. I'm not really sure why. And Gary caught her. He hung her from a ceiling beam by the wrist for several days, by one wrist for several days. She wasn't feeling well um, because duh. Um, And so she wasn't, she wouldn't eat. She had an extremely high fever. She was vomiting, but for some reason, Gary thought she was pregnant. So he was trying to force feed her because he wanted this baby. Mm -hmm. Eventually, she became unconscious, which infuriated Gary. He uncuffed her and let her drop to the ground. He said she was faking it and kicked her back into the pit. Unfortunately, Sandy had passed away. When Gary came back down, he checked her pulse and realized that she was dead. And he said she probably choked on it, like choked on the food he was force feeding her. And then he took her her body upstairs. Why? Okay. Don't. Real big trigger warning. No, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's really fucking bad. So yeah. I'm serious with the trigger warning here, guys. If if you're squeamish, if it it's really bad. It's cannibalism and we're going to get into it a little bit. So that is not where my brain was going. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. No. So the other women downstairs heard a power saw. And a while later, one of Gary's dogs walked into the basement carrying a long, meaty, as they described it, bone. The women had to watch as this dog ate the meat off the bone. Investigators found that Gary had ground up Sandy's body and put it in the dog food that he fed to both the dogs and the other girls. It was also said, and a little bit later we'll figure out how they found this out, he cooked Sandy's ribs in an oven like a like a like a like a roast he put her arms and legs in the freezer labeling them dog food and he boiled her head in a pot why would you why yeah. i didn't want to hear it yeah it's <laughs> awful and you get to hear it a second time jessica thanks ash You're welcome <laughs> gary's lawyer said that there wasn't any evidence of this and that he made it up for his insanity defense but police were called to his house around this time because they said a horrible smell was coming from it. And he said that he was cooking a roast and had fallen asleep and it burned. That's what the smell was. And again, the police were like, oh, okay, thanks. Nice white man. So after this, after Sandy's death, death, Gary became increasingly unraveled. He believed that the girls were always plotting against him, which to be honest, I mean, let's be honest, they probably were. Wait, I thought Josephine died. No, Sandy died. Sandy was the one, the the mentally disabled one. Yeah, but but I thought that you were talking about how Josephine like was cozying up to him 
and then he hung her by her wrist and then he no so josephine was getting his trust but then i said one day sandy was trying to move the plywood cover and gary caught her and then he hung her okay yeah sandy sorry i'm so sorry no you're fine there's so many names (laughs) yeah yeah he had a lot of victims okay so he tried to get the girls to betray one another by offering better living conditions like hey if you you know listen out for me i'll let you stay here um but even that wasn't good enough and eventually he just all hung them up by shackling their arms and legs and gagging them again trigger warning with this next part (laughs) he decided that he didn't want them to hear him coming because that would give them a chance to like surprise attack him when he came down so he took screwdrivers and dug them into all of their ears except for josephine nope one day uh deborah was fighting back and gary took her upstairs she came back down and was extremely quiet and the girl said you know like what happened deborah and she said that gary had took her into the kitchen showed her sandy's head in the pot opened the oven showing sanders roasting rib cage and showed him the arms and legs and said you'll be next if you don't stop fighting me so that's where we got that information from and i don't think that's something that deborah would make up oh gosh no that's traumatizing yeah this point gary decided that he was not torturing them quite enough he took an extension cord stripped it to its bare wires and then touched it to the girl's chains again to everyone except josephina fun and as you can see you know him keeping her out of some of these tortures she was getting more and more of gary's trust and one day gary made her help him torture the other girls So Gary had Josephina fill the pit with water and he like drilled air holes in the plywood cover, covered it up. He put the girls still in the chains into the pit. So they were weighed down in the water and then like the cover was on top of them. He took the bare wire and put it in one of those holes and touched the water with it. He also had Josephina do this. And one of the times that the wire went in, it hit Deborah's chains uh like directly and it she obviously screamed flail forward face down in the water um the other girl screamed to gary he opened the lid took deborah out she had died oh my gosh gary then went went and made the girl sandwiches and said to the women aren't you glad it wasn't you fun gary then made josephina sign and date a statement saying that she helped him to kill deborah he said that if you go to the cops i can use this as evidence against you so he thought that he had her completely under his control and removed the chains and told her to go upstairs and change. They said that this was the first time she had been fully clothed in four months. That's horrible. Yeah. Josephina was allowed to accompany him on outings and at one point told her that if he was ever caught, he would plead insanity because he knew how to manipulate the testimony to make it seem that way. Especially because he's a white man with a nice car. Yeah. On March 23rd, 1987, Gary and Josephina abducted Agnes Adams. The next day, Josephina told Gary that he should let Agnes go visit her family so that she knew they knew she was all right. Um, I think she put it in his head, you know, that they might come looking for her or something along those lines. And since at this point he trusted Josephina, he said, okay. So he drove Agnes to a gas station where he dropped her off and said that he would be waiting for her when she was done visiting, which I don't know how this worked in his head. 
when Agnes got home, she immediately called 911. And when the, yeah. And when the officers arrived, they saw the chaff, the chaff like marks on her ankles from where the chains were. And they went and arrested Gary. Good. And then apparently, like this came out of nowhere. Like they had never mentioned this in anything I read. And all of a sudden there was like, oh, hey, guess what? He also had this friend named Cyril Tony Brown who was arrested at the same time as him, but released on a $50,000 bail saying that he would testify against Gary because apparently Tony had seen Sandy's death and dismemberment. What? What the fuck, Tony? Yeah. So obviously they were able to rescue all the women. And during his arraignment, get this, Jessica. During his arraignment, Gary claimed that the women were already in the house when he moved in. (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, they were already there and I just, whatever. Oh my goodness. So anyway, like he said, he obviously went for an insanity plea, but prosecutor said, uh, hold on a minute. You were able to make $550,000 for, through a brokerage firm, through it, making good investments. That's not insane. No. His financial advisor also testified that Gary was an astute investor who knew exactly what he was doing. So this was like the key evidence for him not being insane. And he was convicted of two counts of first degree murder, along with like a lot of other things. Good. And was sentenced to death on July 1st, 1988. Fantastic. In January of 1989, he once again attempted suicide, but was not successful. Yeah, because he's a dumbass who doesn't know how to kill himself doesn't know how to do anything <laughs> oddly enough gary's daughter maxine um from that first lady he got pregnant and his ex-wife betty filed a suit in federal court requesting a stay of execution saying that gary wasn't competent enough what yeah i thought that was surprising but on july 3rd 1999 the judge said nah this bitch gonna die and he was executed on july 6th 1999 by lethal injection good this sad story isn't quite done however so after being rescued the three remaining women also wanted to press charges against josephine they didn't understand what she was doing and they only saw that she was helping him Mm -hmm. so after everything josephine went went through she then also had these three women tried trying to press charges on her which nobody is at fault here. No. One of um, the ladies, Jackie, said, Rivera, she killed Debbie, and we could have all gotten out of there alive. There was a lot of stuff she did she didn't have to do. I just thought she took on her serial killer ideal, too. She was the oldest. She was supposed to protect us. Even though she was in a bad situation, she was still supposed to protect us. Well, she got your asses out of there, so. Yeah. Um, the prosecution obviously declined to press charges against her. Good. So Josephine started sex work again a year after the trial, but eventually gave it up as well as drugs and has worked several like normal jobs since. She now lives in Atlantic City with her husband and loves walking on the beach to collect gas, glass, sea glass. She is in counseling and she still experiences panic attacks, but says they are less frequent. She also cannot see like change or chains or handcuffs. Like if it comes on TV, she has to turn it off. Mm-hmm. 
Jackie lives in Philadelphia and cleans houses. She is close with her two adult sons and is currently on medication for anxiety and trauma. She says she suffers from intense flashbacks and still can't go into any basement. There's a documentary out called Monster Preacher, uh, which it's on like Hulu Live. So it's like the one that you have to pay like $70 a month for. So I don't have that. So I couldn't watch it. But that is the documentary that True Crime Obsessed covered. And in it, Jackie and Josephine meet again for the first time since the trial. So all of these years, Jackie has hated Josephine and told Josephine when they met, I ain't going to lie. I did have some hate for you. I blamed you for a lot of stuff that happened down there. But once Josephine explained to her why she did what she did and told her how she was the one that got him to allow Agnes to go visit her family, because she didn't know that throughout this whole, all these years, Jackie didn't know that. Yeah. Then Jackie was better able to understand her and finally said, I think the plan you did was the best one because we're here. Good. Yes. And uh, I tried to find some stuff about like what happened to his kids but they've basically stayed out of the public eye. Like they don't want, they don't want to be interviewed. They don't want anything to do with it. So, and I don't blame them. No. Why would you want to be associated with exactly that monster? Oh, and I probably forgot. I got my sources from all that's interesting. Uh, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Oxygen.com, a documentary called Serial Killers, and the True Crime Obsessed podcast. Nice. And that is my horrific, horrible, absolutely worst story ever. Yeah, I really hated it. Thank you. You're welcome. It's really fucking bad. (laughs) Yep. Didn't, I didn't know it, by the way. Okay. So that was new for me and I truly hated it. Yeah. And I hated it too the first time I heard it. And I was like, this is, this is fucking awful. And it's, it's awful that I've never heard of it and it needs more coverage, especially with how brave these women were to get out of that. Yeah. So I thought that I should do it i mean not that we have like you know a huge following but i think you know it's important to get that out for sure for sure especially because of what's currently going on so yes yes 100 yeah. yep so that's my story oh hated it thank you you're welcome <laughs> okay well again thank you so so much i hated that story mm-hmm. so so much absolutely and I love that I get to relive it. Uh-huh. It's going to be so great for you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on to my story. My guy is also a serial killer, but he's not, he's not so bad. Okay. He's not so bad. I kind of, I kind of dig him. Oh, okay. I'm interested to hear this. So I think I, I think I dig him. I think. So his name is Pedro Rodriguez Filo. He is a serial killer that murdered other criminals, which kind of makes him a nice serial killer. Like Dexter. Sure. Never seen it. What? <laughs> but you've never seen Dexter? I have never seen. I think I watched like one episode and I wasn't interested. Oh my God. It's so good, Jess. You have to watch it. Give it a second chance. It's so good. All right. I guess. I The last season's kind of iffy, but the rest of it's real good. I was going to say, I heard the last episode was really... Like was a big letdown. One of the worst endings of any series I've ever seen. <laughs> Next to How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, that was, I hated the whole last season of that show. Ugh, it was awful. That was such a good show and they just ruined it. Yeah. I can't even rewatch it because I hated that last season. Well, Cody rewatched it a couple, maybe like a year ago. And I rewatched it with him until the last season. I was like, nah, I'm going to pretend like 
that didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so before he turned 18, he murdered at least 10 people. And now he is attributed to having killed at least 70 people since he started. Oh, wow. Being a, <laughs> being a good guy, though, paid off when it came to who Rodriguez targeted because he preyed on victims who were not ordinary individuals, but who were actually super bad. Okay. He was dubbed the ideal psychopath by one researcher. <laughs> okay. Because he went after other criminals and those who had wronged him in some way. Okay. His life began with a rocky start from the minute he was born because he was born with a damaged skull in 1954 in Minas Gerais, Brazil. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Minas Gerais, Brazil. I don't That's know. I think French. I'm putting a French accent on it. <laughs> and they speak Portuguese, so. <laughs> Minas Gerais, Brazil. Who knows? But it's something. He was born there in 1954. Okay. So he had this damaged skull as a result of a beating that his mother received from his father while she was pregnant. Oh my gosh. Wow. So poor little baby. Yes. Poor woman, too. Poor woman. Yes. Poor mother. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, His father also beat him during his childhood as well. And Rodriguez killed his first person when he was just 14 years old. Wow. His town's vice mayor was the victim. Oh. Rodriguez's father, who worked as a school security, had recently been sacked for allegedly stealing food from the school. So Rodriguez used a shotgun to kill this vice mayor in front of City Hall. Okay. 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 I get that the guy did something wrong. However, I don't think that stealing food should mean that you get murdered. Yeah. I think it was just like, you know, because they blamed him without actually like doing an investigation, Mm -hmm. I guess. So I think that they just assumed and then fired him rather than going, doing their due diligence. Mm -hmm. And he looked up to his dad or I guess, I don't know. So all right. Okay. I can't get on board with that one. I can get on board like if he murders like rapists, child molesters, that kind of thing, but I can't get on board with that one. I know. And he's only 14. <laughs> so teenage hormones, right? Yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. So not long after, he actually located the guard who was the real food thief and he murdered him as well. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, he took refuge in the Mogi das Cruzes neighborhood of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Perfect. Why do I do this to myself? Oh, every time. Every time. <laughs> Rodriguez killed a drug dealer and he took part in a few burglaries while he was there. He had also fallen in love. Maria Aparecida Olympia was her name. Mm-hmm. And the two lived together until she was murdered by gang members. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Rodriguez's second crime spree was sparked by Olympia's death. In his quest to discover the gang member who murdered Olympia, he hunted down other persons connected to her death and tortured and killed them. Oh, gosh. 
He also went on a killing spree and attended the wedding organized by the gang's leader, and he and his friends brutally murdered seven people and injured 16 others. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pedro Rodriguez Filo's second infamous murder was again motivated by vengeance. His father was the target this time. Oh, geez. The same guy for whom he had committed his first murder. So, oh, shoot, I forgot. I got my sources <laughs> from the Toronto Sun, All That's Interesting, and a Criminal Minds website. Oh. So the All That's Interesting article said that he visited his father in prison. Mm-hmm. But the Toronto Sun article had a quote from him where he said he was already in prison. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But. Interesting. This is the quote. He said, I killed my father in prison. I was already in prison then. I've spent 42 years in prison. My father was in prison. I arranged a well thought out plan and I turned up at my father's cell. I had promised revenge on my mother's coffin because his father killed his mother. Wow. And Rodriguez stabbed his father 22 times and then he ripped out his heart. Oh my God. Yeah. I just, this is a quote. He said, I just chewed it. I cut the tip of his heart off and chewed it. And then I threw it on top of his body. Oh my gosh. Jessica, I don't dig him. (laughs) I don't dig him at all. But he's getting vengeance. I, okay. In my defense, I did forget about the whole eating the heart thing. Okay. So <laughs> I forgot about that. So. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. I researched this like two, three weeks ago. So I researched nine one hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> I already have next week's done too. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm not. <laughs> I should. That's okay. You have so much going on. <laughs> so much going on. All right. On a podcast, he admitted his first crime was throwing a cousin onto a sugarcane press, and he was 13 at the time. A quote from him said, I pushed him thinking his whole body would go through, but just his arm went through. So he was trying to get him crushed. Sorry, for those listening, since this is only an audio medium, I'm making a face. (laughs) (laughs) On May 24th, 1973, Rodriguez was eventually apprehended. He was thrown into a police car alongside two other offenders. One of them was a rapist, and the police realized that Rodriguez had killed the rapist when they opened the car door. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Why would you ever put other criminals in a vehicle together? Yeah. How does that make any sense? I don't know. It was the beginning of a brand new chapter for him. Oh, <laughs> got a new haircut, new do, ready for ready for life. Yes. Rodriguez's bread and butter was being thrown into prison where he was surrounded by criminals. He murdered at least 47 of his fellow convicts. Oh, my gosh. Which accounted for the majority of his murders. According to reports. Rodriguez killed inmates who he felt merited punishment while incarcerated. 
Murdering fellow inmates obviously put a target on his back, and one time he was ambushed, but he actually ended up killing three of the attackers, and he injured two others. Holy shit. He did say he murdered one inmate because he snored too much. What is this guy's name again? Pedro Rodriguez Fiolo. It's F-I-L-H-O. There he is. Oh, he's ripped. No wonder he could take on all those people. I was like, he's got to be a big guy if he's taking on all of those people. (laughs) Dang. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to like recant my statement when I said that I digged him. (laughs) You forgot about these bad things. I did. And I forgot that because I was just thinking about the fact that he went after the gang that like killed his girlfriend. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he's a vigilante. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wait, I forgot about this. Yeah, crap. He killed someone that snored too much. So I would definitely be dead. (laughs) According to Cody, same. (laughs) He was interviewed and he stated that killing other criminals gave him a rush and joy. He also stated that stabbing or chopping with knives was his preferred method of homicide. Rodriguez was originally sentenced to 128 years in prison. But his sentence was increased to 400 years due to the crimes that he committed while incarcerated. (laughs) Oh, my God. But under Brazilian law, the maximum sentence is 20 years, 30 years. Holy crap. Yeah. So he got 400 years, but he could only serve 30 years. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't get why they do that if there's only either. a maximum, but well, and I just I don't understand why you would put a maximum on there because you're inevitably gonna let some really dangerous people out just because they age out of the system. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was though sentenced to four more years due to the murders he committed while he was incarcerated. Oh, only four? Yeah. And he was released in 2007. Oh god, so he's out on the streets right now? Yes. Yeah, maybe. Because according to one resource, he was rearrested in 2011 on charges of riot and false imprisonment, and he was sentenced to eight years. Okay. So, yes, he should be out. I think he's out. Yeah, just don't snore too loud around him. Yes. Rodriguez is notorious in Brazil for the murders he committed, as well as for promising to murder other criminals. So I have a list of his crim- of his murders. Okay. Because I thought that it would be very interesting to read about. Okay. <laughs> so in 1967, his unnamed cousin, he attempted to push them into a sugar cane press. Oh, okay. In 1968, he killed the vice mayor and the school guard. In 1969 to 1973, it was a drug dealer and he was killed by unknown causes. Then at the wedding massacre, there were seven unnamed people, all gang members. They were all shot. There was 16 unnamed people that were injured. They were all gang members. Um, they were all non-fatally shot. He also killed his father by stabbing him 22 times, ripping out his heart and eating it Uh uh there is an unnamed man who impregnated his cousin he shot him okay because i think i read somewhere that he just kind of peaced out Uh after impregnating his cousin so oh gosh 
There are at least 11 unnamed criminals that were all killed by various causes. And May 24th, 1973, he killed a rapist from 1973 to 2003. It was Francisco de Assis Pereira. He was a serial killer and rapist. Oh, God, this name. It has a squiggly over the A. Like, I don't understand. It's J-O-A-O. I'm just going to call him. Yeah, I'm just going to call him. I'm going to call him Joe. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Um, Joe Acasio da Costa. He was a serial killer and a robber. He was bludgeoned with an unspecified object, but he survived. Mm-hmm. Jose Manny Rom- Ramos. He was a murderer and a bank robber that was also attempted. There was an unnamed inmate. He was a murderer. Oh, he was decapitated with a knife. Oh. There were two unnamed cellmates that were killed by unknown causes. And an unnamed inmate that was also killed by unknown causes. And then during an attempt on his own life, three unnamed inmates were all killed by unknown causes. Two unnamed inmates were attempted to be murdered, but they survived, but they were injured. So there is at least 40 unnamed inmates, all killed by various causes. And mm-hmm. Rodriguez once claimed that his body count exceeded 100 victims, though this claim was never confirmed by authorities. So he only has a total number of 71 confirmed kills. Only. Only. <laughs> but most of that was done while he was incarcerated. That's crazy. So that is my story. Thanks. I liked it much better than mine. I certainly did as well. <laughs> mine was pretty awful. Yes, it was. I agree. I have a joke for you. Yay. I forgot about that. Thank you. Jessica, I got some bad news today. Okay. I got kicked out of my local park. Oh, no. I was trying to line up all of the squirrels by height, and they didn't like me criticizing. <laughs> stupid (laughs) (laughs) this guy on tiktok his whole account is dad jokes you keep sending them to me i love i love so much (laughs) oh there's another one so a grasshopper walks into a bar and the bar drinker or the bartender says hey we have a drink named after you and the grasshopper says you have a drink named doug (laughs) (laughs) wow all right. I, I dig it. <laughs> okay. Well, well, if you want more magnificent humor like that, you can find us on historiesandmysteries.ca. We are also on TikTok, Histories and Mysteries Pod. We are on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to rate and review us, we would super appreciate it. Yay. And yeah, I have nothing else. Cool. Well, we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye.